So you can entitle it Miracles and Doors if you want a title. We're going to talk about miracles and oppression, the lottery and doors. And we're going to start off in Isaiah chapter 64, which says this, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. That is the cry of most people's, if not everybody's heart, that God would just come down and sort it all out. He'd just come down and fix everything, put it all back together and sort it all out. And so those words resonate with, with, with all of us, probably, in, in some way, shape, or form. And they resonate because it's the cry of being human. Uh, we would not be human if we did not cry out in such ways, if we did not want to see things change, see things differently, and see some higher power kind of sort it all out. We do not enjoy pain or suffering or struggle, and we are always looking for a way out of it. Uh, this is as well what it is to be human. We were not created, of course, for pain or suffering or struggle. We were created to live in perfection. So there is naturally inbuilt in every one of us this sense to escape that pain and struggle and oppression and pain. But, but this cry, as Isaiah writes, it also reveals another side of humanity, which is desire for somebody else to sort it out, which is the other part of somebody sorting it out. It seems also to be a condition of our humanity that we want things changed and sorted, but it'd be extremely helpful if somebody else could do all the hard work for us while we just sat back and enjoyed their labours. Uh, that's kind of what we're like, really. Um, that's what we're like. The question, of course, is whether Jesus sees it that way. And um, I'm not quite sure that he does. I oh, know we're not going to go there, actually. We're going to go here, I think. Yes. Matthew 1 and verse 20, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to your Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bring forth a son, and you should call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, if you read the Old Testament prophecies, you find they are rammed full of words like deliverance, of saving people, of, of rescuing people. And when Jesus arrived on the earth 2,000 odd years ago, his people needed deliverance from what was very serious oppression. They lived in um, a horrific regime, the Jewish people under the uh, Romans. They were clearly an oppressed people group. Taxation rates were running at 80, 90%. Um, they were not really allowed to do what they wanted, how they wanted in many ways. And yet, and yet, Jesus says very little about delivering them from that type of oppression. In fact, when Jesus is told of a massacre of his own people in the temple, whilst they're offering sacrifices, his response is staggering. Luke 13, we read this. About this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices at the temple. Now that don't get much more horrific if you're a Jew. These, these non-Jews have gone into the temple, sort of desecrated in the first place, and then they've murdered people in this place, which is where God's meant to live, though. this place where God dwells and God resides. This is, this is horrific for a Jewish man. This is Jesus' answer. 
Do you think those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee, Jesus asked? Is that why they suffered? Not at all. And you will perish too, unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. And then he throws in another example of what we might call a disaster. Well, it is a disaster. And what about the 18 people who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them? Were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? No, I tell you again, unless you repent, you will perish too. So, Jesus has this incredible opportunity to say something about the persecution and the suffering and the oppression and the pain that his people are under. He could have gone, you know what, I agree with you. It's terrible that Pilate's doing those things. Let's start a revolution. Well, of course, he was doing that, just not how they thought. And, and many people before him had tried to start revolutions. A guy called Judas Maccabees, about 180 years before him, who had got people together and started a fight, and they all got crushed, because you didn't really win a fight against the Romans. Um, but actually, what's interesting is that he speaks to their hearts and their minds. Because in their minds, they go, they must have done a terrible sin for them to die in that way. The Tower of Siloam must have fallen over because that was God's wrath poured out on their terrible sin. That was their understanding at the time as to how it worked. And Jesus goes, well, no, hang on a minute. That's why he asked the question, do you think those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee? Is that why they suffered? He's basically speaking their minds back to them. Not at all. So first of all, not at all. In other words, terrible things are not the result of God's wrath. That's what Jesus says right there. And... And then he talks to them, and actually you too are going to suffer unless you repent. In other words, he doesn't talk about these terrible atrocities. He doesn't talk about how he's going to save them from the, the wrath of Rome. He just says, well, what about your heart? What's going on in your mind? What's going on in your soul? That's what he speaks of. And he has an incredible opportunity to do something, but doesn't. In other words, there is something much more important, much more vital than the oppression you are facing. That's what he's saying to them. There's something more important than this oppression you're facing from the Roman people, and it's called the state of your heart. Does that mean he's, he's, he's unconcerned about the oppression? No. It just means there's something more important. Notice, if we go back to, um, to Matthew, what, what's Jesus going to save his people from? Their oppression, the brutal regime, the awful tax system, the lack of an NHS dentist? No. <laughs> Their sins. That's what he's going to save them from. He's going to save them from the sins. There is no promise when Jesus arrives on the earth that he will save his people from oppression. And when given the opportunity to agree that this oppression needs dealing with, he turns around and affirms why he came. That our soul, our internal life, is much more important than our outward oppression. And that's because, as you'll see, if you get them in the right order, one deals with the other. It seems that freedom from oppression and pain wasn't Jesus' primary concern when he came? I don't say he's not concerned about it. I just say it's not his primary concern. It's not his first concern. And that's because there is a reality we must face. It gets better than this little bit, so keep listening, okay? <laughs> whilst, whilst we are here on this earth, you will not escape it. Whilst you're on this earth, you won't escape it. You may well find you have money in the bank today, but in the future, you may find you have not. You may well find that you will be healed, but I know for certain you will get unwell again. Will you not? Unless Jesus comes back and restores it all, whatever that means and looks like, 
or unless you, your body eventually totally gives up and then it gets fully restored. Whilst you're on this earth, you can be healed a million times miraculously. Eventually, your body will give up on itself until you are totally miraculously healed and go and be with it. You can get out of a relationship that's been painful, but you will be hurt again because you interact with people called human beings. Jesus came to save us from our sins and to give us abundant life in the midst of the oppression and pain, which sadly is a part of life on earth. Not something he chose, not something he designed, not something he desires, but a result of people's choices on the earth. Your choices are my choices and everybody around us' choices. That's not to say. It is not the heart of God to bless you, care for you and give you every good thing, but there is an order to it. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. So John's prayer is that you might prosper in all things. He's talking about prosperity, about success in everything, in the home, in the school, in the workplace, in relationships, financially. I believe he's talking about prosperity in every single way. But that, says John, is linked to something. It's linked to the prosperity in your soul. It's linked to your, your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, your internal life. Because I believe health and prosperity in all things are the natural outworkings of a prosperous soul. And people get it wrong when they start to sort the external things out without the internal things. People like Jack Whittaker, who won roughly $315 million in West Virginia one Christmas morning, nice Christmas present, in 2002. When we took sport with ABC News just five years later, he said, since I won the lottery, I think there is no control for greed. I think if you have something, there's always someone else that wants it. I wish I'd torn that ticket up. He gave away over 50 million to friends, family and strangers in the form of houses, cars and cash. Eight months after winning, he was robbed of $545,000. Why he had that much cash lying around, I have no idea. His marriage fell apart. His granddaughter began using drugs and later overdosed. If I knew what was going to transpire, honestly, I would have torn the ticket up. Jewel Whitaker, his ex-wife, told ABC News. Because, I mean, how many lottery winners do you know that are doing well five years later on? Some of them are completely broke. Nearly every single one of them's marriage breaks up. And nearly every single one of them falls out with, with, with sons, daughters, siblings, whatever. Why? Because they've not learned to deal with it internally. They've not learned. They've not learned to manage that money yet. They don't know how to live with it. And because they've not learned to prosper inwardly, then when it comes outwardly, it actually is a curse, not a blessing. That's what he's saying. I wish I'd turned it up. That money became a curse, not a blessing. Which is why Jesus' primary concern is your soul. Your thoughts, your attitudes, your mindsets, your internal life. Because it's his desire that you prosper fully. And he knows you only prosper fully when you prosper internally and externally. It's why the prosperity gospel on its own is not a true gospel. Because prospering outwardly is not an abundant life, as Jack Whitaker tells you. Just getting it all outwardly, it just don't work. You can only enjoy it when you've prospered inwardly. Perhaps the reason the external miracle you are praying for has not happened yet is because you were not ready for it internally. And if it comes too soon, it won't be a blessing. It'll be a curse. Mm -hmm. 
Perhaps that relationship you're after hadn't arrived yet because if it came now, it'd destroy you, not bless you. Because you're not ready for it. Perhaps that job, that dream job you're after hadn't arrived yet because if you got it now, it would destroy you, not bless you. Maybe there's something that's got to happen internally first. But if we're talking about miracles, which is a big, big word then, and, and God working, let, let's explore what it means. Because our understanding of that question is really important. And if we get it wrong, we end up deeply disappointed. Because if we're looking for God to work, if our idea of a miracle and God to work is to remove all the oppression, all the pain, all the difficulty, and I'm talking about present and future, not past, okay, we know. God deals with pain in the past, he removes it, that's what he does. And that is also a miracle, because nothing else on the face of the earth does that. No drug, no doctor, no therapist, no psychologist has ever learned how to take pain from you. But Jesus does it all the time. And for me, that's the biggest miracle. And actually, the only one I'm truly interested in. The rest are just bonuses for me. But if we're looking God to do that in the future, looking for him to remove future oppression, future pain, future difficulty, we will be disheartened. Because I don't think he's going to do that. In fact, Faye, Faye and I just recorded a, a little video greeting for Palermo that Paul asked us to do a bit like Isaac did for us. And, um, and at the end, he asked us to say where it's taken us. And I think I said, ironic smile, where's it taken us? I went, more pain, more death, more heartache, more difficulty. But that's all right because it means more life. I think that's what I said, isn't it? Sure, Paul enjoyed it. Don't know whether they will, but anyway. Um, but, but what's God's primary concern? If it's not about that, what is it? Well, you see, I know that because I want more life, it, it, it don't come easy. But I know that in that, I'll be transformed. And that's really what God's bothered about, isn't it? He's bothered about transforming you, your soul, your mind, your way of thinking, your way of being. And, and often, we look at our situation and we ask whether God is working in our lives. And when we do that, we often look at our external lives and then make certain value judgments about whether God's at work. So we go, well, do we have money in the bank? Are my kids doing well? Am I healthy? Are my relationships doing well? Am I in the job I want? Whatever, whatever, whatever. The problem is that's not the right way to judge whether God's at work. Because they all involve other people and God can be at work as much as he wants. But if they don't want him to be at work, there's not a right lot he can do about it. To look at your situation around you and ask whether God is at work is not the best question. The best question is going, is God at work? Isn't it? He's God at work. What's he doing internally in me? Because I know that as I have prospered internally, I have prospered externally. That there are what I call external miracles, which is like supernatural provision, divine intervention, sudden wonderful surprises, unexpected things. And I believe they're just hanging in the air. But for lots of people, they remain hanging there because they're not ready to receive them yet. Internally. Because they're spending so much time praying for this external thing to drop, they forget that if they just changed, it would drop automatically. It would just drop automatically. Some of us may be looking at our situations and complaining they are not changing, that God is not doing anything. But perhaps, and I'll say this gently, the situation will change when you change. 
Perhaps the breakthrough in your health will come when you listen and do what he said. Perhaps the breakthrough in your family will come when you listen and do what he said. Perhaps the breakthrough in your business will come when you listen and do what he said. Perhaps the break, etc. Perhaps the situation and God are not the issue. Perhaps we might be the issue. Perhaps when we've learned what we need to change, that went down like a lead blue. Perhaps when we've learned what we need to learn, something might change. You see, this is all I know. I can point to numerous miraculous incidents in my life, but I know that my focus was never on them. It was always on what God said to change me. That's all I know. And God just did stuff miraculously. I don't, I don't know how to explain it. I don't know what to say about it. I, I don't understand it. But I know that I were doing what I knew we'd do. We had, we had one. We've been looking for a new, a new chef in Little Daisies. And um, we'd advertised like you do, you know, you put it out there and we got all these replies back and uh, found a few that looked good. And uh, the first lady we rang up, she went, oh, no, I'm sorry, I'm going to go to college instead. Okay, all right. Next lady we rang up, uh, okay. Um, no, she said she was going to meet you, didn't she, the next morning? And then if they got a text at 8 in the morning, oh, no, I've decided I don't want it anymore. And that were about the only two that looked anywhere near worth having, basically, from the CVs, sadly. So, so we thought, okay, it's out there. This was three, week, three weeks ago now. And we knew that our, our current chef was leaving us uh, on Friday. And then we're closed for a week and then we're opening up. And I remember writing in my journal, well, we thought, what do we do? Well, we thought, right, well, we're just going to wait. We're going to believe that God's got this covered. We're going to believe, like we've always believed, that God's got his best for us. We're not going to panic. We're not going to text somebody who's second best. Because God wants the best for us. Like he does for you, of course. I just actually know it. Like really, really know it. That he wants the best for me, no matter what. So then, week last Friday, this lady walks in and says, I've got two questions. One, can I book a party? Two, have you got any jobs? Uh, well, yeah, you can book a party, great. And uh, yeah, we've got a job. So it's really busy. Faye's like going, yeah, there you go. Um, there's a leaflet. Just send your CV to the email on there. Not realising there was no email address on the leaflet she'd just given her. <laughs> there was a website. But anyway, never mind. So we hear, but I didn't know this, so we hear nothing. So we're getting excited. Prayer answer, we hear nothing. Okay, well, what we're going to do? Well, we're just going to keep believing and thanking God, aren't we? So eventually, on Monday morning, I tell Faye there isn't an email address on it. And we go, okay, well, maybe that's why. Um, and then Tuesday... Yeah, Tuesday morning, the lady comes back in again. Sorry, no email address on there, but I'm really interested in this job. Norms goes, okay, well, here's the email address. Send your email address. Okay, great, we're going to get an email. No email. Okay. So I'm going, okay, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to keep believing. We're pretty much out of options anyway, so we may as well just keep believing because God says he's got it for us. And I remember writing in my journal two weeks ago, I don't know how this is going to work out, but I've got a piece about it, and we'll just kind of... Wednesday, this lady comes back in again. I'm like, okay, well, at least she's, at least she's hungry, this, this lady. Oh, and a job was going to finish three days ago, and she wanted a, a new one. She's never worked in a commercial kitchen before. Yes. I'm happy about that. I don't want somebody telling me how to cook a bacon sandwich. I want to tell you how to cook a bacon sandwich. How I want my bacon sandwich cooked. Thank you very much. Honestly. No, but you... I've run a business... Well, I haven't. She has. For like seven years, we know it works. Now just come and do as you're told and do it well. 
Keep it clean and go home. That's all I need you to do. <laughs> Apparently, that is very difficult for very many people. I mean, crying out loud, I can manage to do it, so it can't be that difficult. But anyways, um, where did I meant this story? Oh, yeah. So anyways. She came Wednesday. She did. Faith was there Wednesday. She talked to Wednesday. for Wednesday. By the way, and I'm still in faith because I don't think she said she wants a job yet, but I'm believing and I'm telling you, and this is my bit of faith telling you that she's an angel sent for us. She's coming on Wednesday to meet Faith to go through it all. She's been a nanny, a, a, a nanny basically, and ran nurseries and done all sorts, and she wants to work in my kitchen. I don't understand why you'd want to do that, but I'm believing God for it, all right? So just pray she actually does take this job. Um, <laughs> And that she don't want £20 an hour for it because we haven't talked about pay or anything like that. So just, yeah, it's kind of my... But I'm believing. Yes. Amen? Yes. Amen. Good. Well, I need some people to do that, but that's good. But I just, what I'm saying is this. What am I saying? Yeah. We just wait and believe that God, we're going to do something. How many people just walk in and go, I've got, have you got any jobs? And then are just like totally up for it and, and appear to be brilliantly qualified. This is the most qualified person I've ever had in the seven years of my business want to come and work for me in the kitchen. No one's one qualified. We trained her up. Now she's a manager who runs it all by herself when we're not here. Yeah, you don't count. <laughs> I believe God is passionate about changing our situations. I believe he's desperate to bring life and grace and healing in all of our situations. But such is his love for us and such is his desire for us that the situation may well not change until he has changed or you have allowed him to change you. Because that's what he's more bothered about. That's what he's more bothered about. He wants both, but he's more bothered about that. Perhaps you already hold the key to unlocking your situation. Perhaps it's already in your hand. And what might that look like? Let's go to Acts in chapter 3. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they had laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who went to the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. He took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So leaping up, stood, walked, and entered the temple, walking, leaping, and praising God. So this man gets a miracle. A door's opened for him into a whole new way of life. But he did some things that led there. He did some things that led there. So first of all, oh no, that's wrong side, that one. He was already using what he had. Verse 2. A certain man lame from his mother's room was carried, whom they had laid daily, to ask arms. He might not have had any legs, but he had a voice. He had the rest of his body that worked, and he used what he had. He was at a beautiful gate, which is where people would pass for prayer three times a day, so he put himself in a place where he could be noticed, where he could be seen. He didn't have very much, but what he did have, he was using. He used the friends that he had, he used the voice that he had. And if you want to put yourself in a place to receive, you've got to start using what you've already got, no matter how little and no matter how small. You've got to start using what you've already been given. It's the only way more gets released, gets released, because it's called faithfulness. 
Verse 3, he asked. He made a request. He was bold. Listen to this. He was bold, desperate, aware of his need, unashamed of his situation, willing to ask for help, and willing to face the reality of his situation. He was bold, desperate, aware of his need, unashamed of his situation, willing to ask for help, and unable to face the reality of his situation. That right there is a recipe for an answer. Right there. Bold, desperate, aware, unashamed, willing to ask, and able to face the reality. Sometimes, we don't face the reality. It came to me recently. Sometimes we don't, we're not willing to face the reality because we think we shouldn't be thinking like we're thinking. Does that make sense? So sometimes we have the thought, and we go, that's a terrible thought. I shouldn't be thinking that. Listen, shouldn't be thinking shouldn't appear in your vocabulary. You've already thought it. All right? So this idea that I shouldn't be thinking that, it doesn't, it doesn't really work. No, you are thinking it. And the only way to be restored and healed of that thought is to admit that you just thought it. Yeah. That's the reality. You've got to go, no, this is what I'm thinking about it. I have just had this thought and I don't like it and I don't want it and I don't want to... Phil, just follow him out. Just see if he's all right. Kerr, Phil Kerr. Oh, you are all right. Good. I was worried about you, bruv. Good. So... This idea that we shouldn't have a certain thought, it's just nonsense. It really is nonsense. You've had it. So just admit that you've had it. Because then God can come into it. Whilst you're going, oh, no, 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 I can't have that thought, I can't have that thought, I can't have that thought. Jesus cannot do anything with it. He can't do anything with it. Because you're denying what you've just done. It's like going and having a drink and going out. It's like going, I never drink. I never drink. I'm not drinking. Not drinking, not drinking, not drinking. That's what it's like, though. It's just ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. No, you just did have a drink. You did have... Okay. Well, you go, okay. I realise I don't want this thought, Jesus. I realise this thought is not honouring to you. I realise this thought is not a thought you would have. They're all good things to say. But to deny that you want Adam keeps you in a place where that thought stays in your head and keeps going round and round and will eventually tie you up in knots that the enemy will get a hold of and it will just get worse. It's okay, no, I did have this thought. I'm sorry, Jesus, I don't want this thought. Forgive me, Jesus. Honestly, that's the way it goes, not by pretending you didn't have it. Facing the reality of our situations. Your miracle may well reside in the hands of another, just like this man's did. May well reside in the hands of another. Then he responded to instruction. Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention. We've talked about this recently. He gave them his attention. Just imagine who else could have been walking past. His friends could have been there waving to him. Somebody who gave to him every week could have walked past. Some really rich bloke who every week gave to him, he could have been easily distracted, but no, he went, okay, I'm going to give you my attention. I'm going to respond to an instruction. And then, I love this, he expected to receive, verse 5, expecting to receive something from them. He was waiting for something to happen. What does your speech say about your expectation? Does our speech line up with what we are believing for? And not just when we're in a church gathering, 
But when we're at home washing up, driving around, and then like we've been doing this morning, you praise God for what he received. So he leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple, walking, leaping and praising God. When he got his miracle, everybody knew about it. Everybody. We have this incredible God who opens up doors for us to, to enable us to walk into the future. And sometimes we stay quiet and we shouldn't. It's one of the reasons why I often share my own journey and my own stories because I want everybody to know how brilliant my God is. I want to declare his goodness in the assembly like it says in the word. All right, I'm going to finish with this thought. A lot of the time, we see a miracle as the end of a journey, as the result of something. But I believe every miracle is the start of a journey. At some point, God comes in, the door flings open, at that moment, it's all really exciting. That is the start, it's not the finish. Something miraculous has taken place and allows you to walk forward. Consider that man in Acts. His life has just been turned literally upside down by Jesus. The miracle of his healing opened a door to a brand new future, but that future was not going to be easy. He had not known anything for decades but being lame. That was all he knew. Now, he's, now he can't beg anymore. He's got to go find a job. He's got to work for the first time in his life. Maybe he's now an eligible bachelor. And the whole prospect of a wife and a family is now a possibility. Suddenly his friends who have carried him there every day don't need to carry him there every day. They're going to find different opportunities to be together, to spend time together. His miracle is the doorway to a whole new life, but this new life isn't an easy life and it's not just going to fall into place. He has lots to do now that will probably involve lots of hard work and probably more of God opening doors. You see, I believe every miracle is a doorway into your future. So that's great. We've got this... We've got this new chef lady that's coming. She's coming. But now Faith's got to train her up. So now we've got to teach somebody everything that we do in our kitchen for the whole time. Well, that's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy at all. That's a heck of a lot of hard work to be able to do that, to get into that place. But of course, that brings more freedom and all sorts of things. Every time God moves in the external of our lives, he is not simply creating something or doing something just for the sake of it, are just to bless us, but it's more than that. It's the opening of a door into our future and other people's future. So for Anna, it's not just about her getting a job. Now there's these kids that she can speak into and look after and care for and bless and all that sort of stuff. It's about them as well. God's not just doing it so she can go buy some more beautiful clothes or buy her own house. That's, the, that's a side effect of what he's doing. That's just a thing on the edges. What he's really doing is getting into a dream and a heart and, and bringing up these kids that he cares for more than anything and having somebody who can exemplify him to them. That's what that's all about. Yes. Whatever it is, whether it's a healing or a relationship or a job or an object or money, whatever, it's always a doorway into your future. Every miracle is never an exit. It's always an entrance. It's always an entrance. For Audrey's mum, that, that was not an exit. It was an entrance into a whole new way of living in peace. She'll have always had him next to her for 50 odd years. And God went, it's okay. And I, I'm believing that from that moment, she's going to be okay. She's going to sleep well. Because God's got her. It's an entrance into a new future for her. A different future, but a new future. That's beautiful. Isn't it? Absolutely beautiful. Love it. For Margaret. Entrance into whole new things. I can keep her even more busy. <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm just joking. No, but Anne's, Anne's exactly right. I were really pleased Anne said it. He's absolutely right. He, you see, we go, oh, it's an exit. No, 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 no. It's, it's an entrance into something wholly new. 
It's exciting. It's exciting. The, the, the things that God does are entrances for Leon. It's an entrance into a whole new place, whole new beginning. See, they're all entrances, really. They're all entrances. It's fabulously exciting. I love it. I love it. But listen, and I loved as well. I don't know whether you noticed this. But in amongst all the celebrating, did you hear? Because it was beautiful. This tongue came, and we got two different kind of interpretations that covered the whole church. Did you notice it? One was, so, so Faze was, that's what God's doing in your life. That's what God's doing. He's painting these beautiful And then Sharon came along and went, but he's got you all as well. Did you notice how God did? He just covered everybody. So whether you were feeling celebratory or whether you were like, well, where's my flipping miracle? In which case, get your mark off. But, <laughs> but he covered it for you, didn't he? He covered it for the whole assembly. That's what God does, you see. That's what God does. We've got to learn to celebrate with one another, of course. But even in that, God goes, okay, but I'm just going to make sure you're all covered. If anybody's feeling a little bit like, what about me? Well, there you go. You got it right there in what Sharon shared. So don't miss it, okay? Okay. I want to sing Way America again because it's just my favourite song right now. 